All right, here we are. are you here ready? we are. Here we are. <laughs> it's like one day, one day we're going to turn all of the pre and post show stuff into a podcast of its of its own, and it'll probably be more popular. Well, I don't know if it'll be more popular, but it'll be more entertaining. It'll certainly be, be more litigious. It would be. Yeah, well, it could be that too. Anyways, uh, we're here though. We're here now, and uh, um, so here's my question. This is a trivia question. This is where I start with a pop quiz. All right, here we go. You ready? You ready? Well, I don't know. Your your pop quizzes can be okay. Are there any? Are there any? And and mark mark my words. By the way, you're you're gonna like you're gonna make money in bar with bar bets on this one day. Okay. Yeah, because everybody in a bar knows what a class prize. No, no, no. We're all gonna be at Herbie's next summer. All right. And Higdon's gonna make money off this 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 bit. Bravo airports. Are there any Bravo airports that have only one runway? Ooh, ooh, Mr. Cotter, Mr. No, Cotter. No fair. You seem to know the answer. David, do you know whether there's any Bravo airports that have one runway? I, I believe that there are, okay. uh, well, but I couldn't that's name. A, that's I a pretty safe answer. Uh, okay. So, uh, uh, Jeb, go ahead. What do you think? Yes. What? Oh, yes, there are. Okay. Which, what is it? Or, or, or what are they? There's San Diego is one of them. There may be another one, but San Diego certainly fits the bill. San Diego is definitely one of them. And that's actually the airport that got, so I was talking to, uh, to 172 Drew, yeah. um, who flies all over the West coast, um, and, uh, sent me a fun little video, uh, out the front window video of him, um, turning, uh, sort of a big wide downwind to base to final landing at, uh, at, uh, San Diego. And, and he came up with the question of whether there are any other one runway Bravo airports. Now I haven't done an, a totally exhaustive research on this subject. Um, but I have, I'm pretty sure that there are no other one yeah. runway and, I, and by I, one I, runway, I don't mean run. Now there are plenty, not plenty, but there are a handful of Bravo airports that have runways only in one direction pair but have parallel runways. Um, and there are a handful of those, um, but there are no other that I can find. Uh, yeah, Bravo. There's airports. also a handful. St. Louis comes to mind where you have one piece of pavement going in one direction and another piece of pavement, uh, not quite at 90 degrees, but going in, a, in another direction. So just a, a, a sort of a crisscross kind of thing. Exactly. But exactly. only one runway in each one. In, in Correct. Each. Oh, okay. Yeah, Let's, yeah. Yeah. Um, at least that's that's how St. Louis used to be configured. I don't know. You know, I haven't looked at it lately. Uh, Tampa has two north-south runways and then a crossing runway that no one really ever uses. I think I've landed on it once. Right. I think I know um, the one you mean, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's. Um, um, but now there's a lot of other airports that are um, in a Bravo or, or oh, underlying yeah. a Bravo. Mm-hmm that may have only one runway, but they're either Deltas or Charlies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can you give me an example? Um, uh, sorry, trick question. McDill <laughs> Air Force Base, if we're counting, oh, okay. if we're counting uh, uh, we non-civil f- fields. Um, you know, Washington uh, is kind of interesting in that it's got basically three uh, Bravo airports. Um, DCA um has one main runway and then two i think it's still got both um the uh crossing runways but no you know only light aircraft use the the uh uh two crossing runways mm-hmm. um but um 
it doesn't qualify. Dulles, of course, has a slew of runways. Now, right, right. Um, and BWI has a slew of runways. So I was just doing a little research here. I, I just discovered something I didn't know. So I obviously used to operate, obviously, but longtime listeners know that I used to operate in the San, Jose, San Francisco Bay area. Um, and I operated over and occasionally onto San Jose's runways. Um, that's a, yeah, that's another candidate, but it's, um, well, know, it's not the Bravo airport. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. That's not a Bravo. All right. Uh, well, it, 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 I think it's underlying a Bravo, but it's it not is underlying. the Bravo. Yeah. Um, and actually, I was you're right. But first of all, it doesn't even apply because it's not a Bravo. It's a Charlie Airport under right. a Bravo. Um, the thing that I was looking at, though, was so I think we've all seen airports that have left, right, and occasionally, what do they call it? Center? Center. Center. Okay. Um, in order to have three parallel runways. All right. San Jose used to, and I'm surprised, again, I've been away from there for so long, things change, but um, San Jose used to have three, I'm going to make finger quotes, parallel runways, but back in the day, they weren't numbered the same. Okay. Um, They had the two big sort of, I'll call them airport runway or airline runways. um, And then which I'm blanking on the actual direction here. I could actually find it here by clicking on this. And uh, so it's 1230. Um, and uh, once upon a time, um, there was a, what would it be? It would be a 1129, all right? There was a smaller sort of GA runway, if you will, um, that was, I mean, I can't imagine that it wasn't in fact parallel to these two big long runways. Um, but, uh, um, and and I guess, and it was off to the left, off to, well, off to the west. Um, but, uh, and I, I, I always assumed, and maybe you guys know more about how this naming works, but I always assumed that it was because it was such a dramatically different runway. They didn't want to call it 29 left or 30 left, for example. Um, they didn't want to have center and right be the big runways and left be the short runway. I can see that's just like, you know, a recipe for hilarity. Um, but uh, yeah, does that ring a um, bell? Yes and no. I mean, sure. Uh, uh, some parallel runways are much shorter than others. I think uh, Lauderdale. Exa- no, that's not right. Um, or I'm sorry, Orlando. No, that's not right either. Um, I, I I can't come up with an yeah. example. David, the, you're awful the, quiet. The, the, the granddaddy, the granddaddy of of parallels and multiple runways. Um, uh, more or less in the same uh, direction has to be O'Hare. Uh, so I was thinking of two here. I'm scrolling. I'm looking at VFR, VFRmap.com, and now we're scrolling over to find Chicago. Well, I'll, 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 do, this for, I'll do this for you. Uh, you've got not one, not two, not three, four, or five. You have six. Six runways that are effectively the, east, the same direction. East-west runways, nine uh, left, center, and right. 10 left center. And so right. there you go. Same, same deal where they've yeah. taken whatever, yeah. cause they're certainly not 10 degrees off. No. Uh, well, I don't know if they are or not. Um, well, I haven't, yeah, I haven't looked at the specs, yeah. you know, but, uh, they're not going to come in with, uh, you know, nine left, left and nine left center. Uh, they're not going to do that. Well, no. Uh, yeah. That would be, um, yeah. Okay. Cause that, that wouldn't cause any confusion. No, that wouldn't, that would be clear as a bell. Uh, but they also have two other parallel runways. Yes. Four right, four left. Which are pretty far, 
widening yeah, space. Yeah, they're they're kind of you know I won't say in the next county, but yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and that's yeah, okay. That's O'Hare Airport. That's a big piece of ground. These airports, yeah. these two parallel runways are pretty far apart. David, you're awful quiet. You have any experience with uh, what's your what's your view on on? You know, you mentioned that there were some. Did would you have said San Diego? Would did that ring a bell? Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I flew out of there a few years ago on a on a cross country to uh, uh, well, yeah. just go blank. Cross country to Florida. Oh, really? In a, in a sky catcher, a sky catcher. Sure, I remember that that adventure. Um, that's that originated at San Diego International. I take it, huh? Yeah, we departed San Diego, and three days later, we landed at, uh, uh, I think it was Orlando Executive. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into the into the archives and see if I'm finding a, a link to that uh, story. That we made a stop at uh, Hidden River. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, I had a question. Now I've lost it. Anyways, so uh, there you go. That's the answer to. Oh, I know. One seventy two Drew is telling me. So when he they had him in order to, to get the spacing right. They had him do um, sort of at the just as he was entering downwind, if you will. Um, they had him do about four three sixties um, in order to give them. Some He's space. in a Skyhawk. How many three? What was the traffic? I don't know exactly, but if you know San Diego, they have a a, a, a crap ton of uh, of uh, Southwest seven thirty sevens coming in all the time, um, and so you know for whatever reason they needed some spacing, and so he did like four four, three or four or five, uh, three um, at their request. Let me just land on this parking lot and y'all let me know when I can land on the <laughs> Yeah, I know. Here. Really? I'll wait here. Let me know when you're ready. Yeah. 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 Anyways. So, uh, uh, yeah. So as near as we can tell listeners, if any, if we're missing one and I, I, I kind of scrutinized the, uh, vfrmap.com map of the U S and tried to look at every single Bravo in the continental U S um, I'm pretty sure I looked at the ones in Alaska and Hawaii as well. And I could not find another one that had only one runway. Yeah. So uh, I think, yeah. I think San Diego is the one that's going to win you drinks, um, yes. free, free drinks. Um, and apparently not from Jeb. So, uh, um, you know, <laughs> Hey, you know, I, uh, uh, we, we got to do what we got to do. <laughs> we got to do. Yeah, there you go. Anyways. So, uh, let's see now. That's one thing. Oh, and then, uh, I wanted to be, it's not, I see. Okay. This is actually going to come up later on. Um, I think I'm going to yeah. hold this till later on. All right. This uh-uh. is going to, this uh-uh. is going to come up under the general aviation thing. So the general aviation thing has become a, a, a thing. All right. Um, and I'll explain later on, but first I'm going to say, welcome folks. Time Controlled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from high atop the banks of the beautiful Cochico River here in Dover, New Hampshire. And uh, I'm, I'm here in our virtual hangar talking to my two good friends. Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. That's uh, uh, Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. How are you doing? Good morning. Um, I'm doing well. Um, um, kind of between uh, Aviation Safety Magazine issues here. So I've got... Uh, Lots of playtime and whatnot. Actually, planning to get out this afternoon and go do some aviating. Cool, so, yeah. very cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also here in our virtual hangars uh, from the air capital of the world, uh, Wichita, Kansas, is Dave Higdon. Good morning, David. How are you? Yeah, it's, uh, steaming into the new day. <laughs> Sorry, trick question. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, keeping busy out there. I uh, do. You, do you do you get to ride your motorcycle much, David? Not this summer. Yeah. 
uh, a uh, lame left knee is uh, kind of discouraged me riding because if I have to put down on my left foot, my knee doesn't always oh, want to yeah. support it. That's right. You've been having knee problems, haven't you? Okay. So, uh, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's too bad. It's uh, when a motorcycle rider has to has to sit down. That's uh, well. That the puppy weighs six hundred and eighty pounds. So, uh-huh. it's... yeah. Well, and hopefully you never have to deal with that full weight. But I know how I know what you mean because I'm a, I'm not a big guy either, and I struggle sometimes with these motorcycles. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, all right. Well, um, either you guys working on anything interesting these days that you want to plug or tout or, or crow about or anything, or or should we talk about aviation stuff? I guess we're going to talk about aviation. Well, let's talk about aviation. Stuff. I guess we're going to talk about aviation because our our listeners don't really want to hear all the sort of details of the stuff. Uh, Maybe true, but sometimes they, you know, it's yeah. for their own. Well, good. we'd have to, you know, do yeah. this, you know, uncontrolled airspace after dark yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, we got a bunch of emails here. Let's see if we can, we've heard from a bunch of listeners and that's awesome. We love that. But let me yes. see if I can kind of wake, make my way through some of these here. Um, la- I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before, but we heard from uh, listener Constantine um, in Canada who was updating us, filling us in on the subject of that uh, drone that collided with a one, I believe it was 172 up in Canada, police, uh, law enforcement drone that collided with a, uh, with a uh, 172. And, uh, and he sent us some useful information. Um, he just sent a a follow-up to the follow-up, and I'm not going to go into the whole detail, except to say that he reports that in, re, in in as a result of this incident, the and I'm quoting here, the Transportation Safety Board of Canada has started an air transportation safety investigation of that incident. He writes, this is a class three investigation. Oh, I'm sorry, he's quoting someone here. I think he's quoting the, uh, the investigation report. This is a class three investigation. These investigations analyze a small number of safety issues and may result in recommendations. Class Three investigations are generally completed in 450 days. Well, that's like, that's very American, actually. It's very U.S. Very very NTSB-like. Yeah, Yeah, I know, huh? Um, Anyways, so there we go. Follow up on that um, law enforcement drone uh, midair that fortunately didn't result in any any human injuries, but banged up the airplane and probably, I don't know. It says the RPA asked, which I presume is, oh, yes, remotely piloted aircraft system. Uh, the RPAS, and we're starting to have too many acronyms here. Uh, starting. 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 Yeah. Um, the RPAS was destroyed. So, you know. Right. Did they find, so, they must have found parts, pieces of it, though. I can't imagine that the cops didn't go looking for their drone. Um, um, excuse me, sir. They're on your, there's a, they're on your roof. My drone is on your roof. Yeah. Can, may I retrieve, you know, uh, my, my drone? Please. I know, huh? Uh, pieces of my drone, I should say. I, um, I don't see anything in here about consequences. That's just amazing. Well, not, not. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Got to uh, be registered if it's over eight point eight ounces. Really? Wow. Eight point eight ounces. That's yeah, two hundred and fifty grams. I was going to say a quarter of a kilo. So wait a minute. That's much. I don't know. Stricter than the U.S. rules, right? Aren't the U.S. What are, what are the U.S. rules for? Is it weight? related in the u.s i think it is right there's a weight limit but i thought it was bigger than that um i don't know and i I get the feeling none of us knows so we're gonna have to look this up and uh, but uh, anyways thank you to constantine for uh for uh checking in and giving us a little bit more information on the same it's the same less than 250 grams oh it's the same okay that just doesn't seem very like very much maybe it's not it's not yeah so So, uh, it's just over half a pound yeah okay 
or or exactly a quarter of a kilogram. So there was a story in the news, or someone referred us to this. I thought I'd put it on the list, but I'm now I'm not finding it here. Um, Jetpack Man, a Los Angeles LAX Jetpack Man, or or Jetpack being. Um, and uh, someone is it on the list here? Anyways, now I'm sorry I can't find well, it. I thought hang, I hang, I thought I, there was too. Yeah, um, hang on, where'd it go here? Um, while you're looking, I will. It might be here, and it's just like not having a good. Uh... The point here is that um, someone sent us a. Uh, there was a there was a story that included a photograph of a balloon, a, a large balloon thing, that the multiple and balloons were oriented in the shape of a person, sort of a stick figure kind of shape. This is from memory. I haven't found the story yet. Um, and and someone was was commenting that this was maybe what the whole LAX jetpack thing was all about. All right, is that it, it? Is that this? Whatever it is that they were seeing, the thing that these airline pilots were seeing was in fact a a balloon or multiple balloons oriented in the form of a stiff stick figure, which from a sufficient distance one might identify it as being a human occupied jetpack, right? Well, when your chair is doing 160 knots, you know, it's kind of hard to. Yeah. And if it was far enough away, it would just kind of, you would see the shape and you might say, oh, look, it's a, it's a jetpack. And uh, um, so there was that. Um, And then we also heard from listener Joe Z, uh, who uh, uh, he has his own theory, which can't, can't fault him on that because Lord knows I have my theory. Uh, uh, He writes, yep, I have a theory. How would a jetpack get 5,000 feet buzz around and land with what we know about current jetpack capabilities? He says, what if it jumped out of a plane like a parachute operation? Imagine jumping out of a caravan while in the LAX VFR corridor, Mm -hmm. jetpack strapped on. Uh, From there, they could fly around for 10 minutes before having to descend. So I I don't know, maybe those, those jet flying wing folks that you know, that we've seen um, in various stories and we've seen them perform at Oshkosh a couple of times, maybe even at Sun and Fun. Um, and they launch out of an, a, an airborne aircraft. Um, but can they do it that, that high? David, do you know anything about these things though? That, that those jet wing, I forget what they call themselves here, but uh, um, can they operate at 5,000 feet or higher? Do you have a, what do you think? Sure, sure they can. Yeah. Once. Once. Yeah, okay. Anyways, that's that's his thought. The balloon people is another thought. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what now, to tell you. I, I Yeah, I think it was, several, it was several episodes ago I said something about it, you know, a helium-filled balloon or something like that. Uh, not something I'm signing up for. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. Well, so thank you to Josie for uh, uh, you know, weighing in with his theory, which is just as good as any of them. So yeah, uh, yeah. there you go. Um, I, alien technology. I'm sticking with this story. This You're sticking with the alien technology. Alien technology. You know, um, Dave's Dave's little guy from Mars um, is uh, is behind it all. You know, with the funky device. Who, who was it that first said that any sufficiently advanced technology is magic? Is indistinguishable from magic. In, indistinguishable. Yeah. It's famous. Yeah. Asimov was famous for saying was it. it. Asimov? I believe it was or Asimov. Sagan. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know whether he got it from someplace else, but yeah. uh, um, 
you know, and then uh, and then uh, who was it? Uh, 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 William Gibson, I believe, is the one who is famous for saying that uh, 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 the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, That's a good point. Actually. Yeah. So, you know, there's that, too. Right. Um, anyways, uh, one last that's not true. We got an email later on in the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. But, but right now, one last email for now is from our good friend um, Jim G, um, uh, who uh, uh, regular listeners will will know is a good friend of the podcast and, and helps us out um, uh, in uh, in a lot of different ways in a lot of different times and uh, um, and, and is 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 a is a legendary for being one of the bad boys of uncontrolled airspace. Um, Jim weighed in on the whole subject of what is the definition <laughs> of general aviation? Who's laughing? What do you think? So funny. Uh, no, Jim, okay. Jim's paragraph says, now I'm going to cover some of the distinctions and gray areas because I clearly have nothing better going on this evening. <laughs> you know, I think that's probably true. I don't exactly know what's going on in Jim's world these days, but he's got some spare time because when we talked about the definition of general aviation and we were just kind of riffing and talking about this here, he sent this uh, longish email to us. Um, where, and I'm certainly not going to read you know, the whole thing. I'll, there'll be a link to it in the show notes if you want to read Jim's views on the subject. And he has a number of different views. I was, gonna like, I was just going to rip on Jim for a second there, but I shouldn't do that. He's a good guy. Um, be, be gentle. Yeah, but uh, he's got a lot of interesting ideas here. He talks about the, uh, uh, you know, uh, regulatory uh, issues, and he talks about, uh, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, you know, um, I don't know, what's, what's the word I want here? Um, you know, it's just kind of traditional ways of viewing aviation issues. And, uh, um, you know, I guess, the, you know, the, the most important, I think, sentence in the entire email is where he said, I agree with your definition, Jack. So there you go. Done. No. Yeah. Um, dissent rears, rears its ugly head. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, just a couple of graphs here. He says, episode 1038 got me going. Sorry. Here's my definition of GA, just Jim's definition without reference to FARs or AOPA or anything authoritative, just me. He says, I agree with your definition, Jack G, is everything except military and scheduled airlines. He says, now I'm going to cover some of the distinctions and gray areas. Uh, as David said, because I clearly have nothing better to do. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I, yeah, I, no, I, I, I welcome these, this kind of, yes, uh, of yes, uh, conversation. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, um, to me, this is boiled down to a question of not so much what is GA down here in the in Indian country, if you will. Um, that's a that's a Jeb phrase, or at least that's where I heard it from. It's a Jeb phrase. It's where all the, the Cherokees um, fly. But uh, um, it's uh my question has to do with two things it has to do with with um remotely piloted drones uh, and space flight okay and that's my question do these things fall into general aviation and uh, and i i'd be interested to hear more from either you guys but certainly from listeners as well um as to uh let's see if i can kind of eke out what what Jim G has to say here, space flight, mostly he says, what is, I'm kind of elaborating here. He says, is space flight GA? He says it's mostly GA. Unless it's a military flight operated by military for military purposes, it's GA because it's civilian. Um, And uh, I'm starting to wonder about the distinction between aircraft that have a pilot on board or are remotely piloted. Um, I, it seems to me that might be some kind of a distinction. 
you guys are not having as much fun well, with this as I, I am, are no, you? No, I'm, I'm not in that. I think uh, there's a glaring omission here in this dichotomy. It should be a trichotomy. Uh, I think you have to put public aircraft into this. And I think a lot of NASA's operations are public aircraft. I think law enforcement are public. I, I it, you could you could slot it in as a subset of general aviation because it's um, clearly not military, although may, maybe quasi-military. Mm-hmm. It's not commercial scheduled operations, um, um, but. Um, I, I I just have a mm-hmm. I, I don't know I have there's a, there's a there's a a curb to stub my toe against when I think of um, a NASA civilian launch as being um, general purely general aviation. Okay, David, do you have any thoughts on this subject? Do you care? You don't have to care. Apparently, you don't, you don't have to. I can. I, I you know. Yeah. I uh. I think Jim G pretty much covered the waterfront on the question. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, he 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 was, he he. Yeah, uh, uh, my first trip to the Paris Air Show was on a four-engine, fifty-seat, turboprop airline, mm-hmm. uh, De Havilland Dash Seven. Right, but the whole trip was Part Ninety-One. Yeah. We weren't a scheduled operation. We were flying under 91. Okay. And uh, was that aircraft owned by, it certainly was, was it open, owned by private individual or, or by an airline or something in between? Well, it was the demo airplane for De Havilland, Canada. So it was owned by an aircraft manufacturer. Yeah. And they were going to put it on the uh, ramp at uh, Le Bourget for the Paris Air Show. And they invited uh, about five or six journalists to ride over. Uh, and some of them, some of those uh, people brought wives slash girlfriends, but it wasn't a fast trip and it wasn't nonstop. Uh, we stopped in uh, Goose Bay. Then we stopped in uh, North Sarsawak, uh, Greenland. And there's Zuntite. Right, the 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 world's finest PR effort, naming that place Greenland. Uh, thank <laughs> the Vikings for that. It's, it's sadly uh, turning green or or less white, but that's another story altogether. Um, yeah, well, but I would definitely, I think that's definitely a GA uh, uh, flight operation. Um, you know, um, I, I guess we're gonna we don't know we're gonna move on here. But I my question, I guess, to listeners and to anybody who cares to weigh in, uh, although I don't know who that would be other than listeners, um, is uh, is um, drones that are operated by private individuals. So a commercial private drone operation, for example, um, a company that does drone stuff has been hired to do um, photo shoot or uh, has been hired to do a, a, a power line inspection or a pipeline inspection or that kind of thing. So a, a remotely piloted private flight by a, a quote unquote drone, um, is that general aviation or does, does general aviation have to have a pilot on board? I guess is where I'm, I'm the area I'm curious about right now. Um, Cause it also makes me wonder. So if we think SpaceX is general aviation, SpaceX's private stuff is general aviation. Then my question is um, 
we've had um, communication satellites and private weather satellites for a long time now. Are those general aviation aircraft? See? Okay. There you go. Alien technology. Uh, it's all, all I, of a thing. Uh, it's all of a thing. Yeah? I um, would, uh, like to move on. I would like to move on. Um, so, you know, not everything moves slowly in the aviation world. Um, we joke around about, you know, uh, um, how long it takes the FAA to, you know, make changes and so forth and so on. Um, but the whole subject of this new GA fuel thing seems to be kind of barreling along all of a sudden. Um, and, uh, you know, we've talked about this in recent episodes that, the, that, uh, this, uh, uh, new, uh, 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 I'm sorry, I always get this wrong. Gammy, right? Gammy fuel. Gam, just gammy. Gammy um, uh, fuel um, got approval on us on a small subset of aircraft, and we were looking forward to it being approved on a lot more aircraft. And apparently, it has now. Um, David, you're the one that put these links on the list. Can you report to us on uh, on uh, uh, you know how progress is being made in this whole thing? Well, the the fuel is uh, something that folks uh, down in Oklahoma uh, cooked up and tested exhaustively. Yeah, for uh, a long, over a long period of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so everything's got to start, you know, from one. What's the Chinese proverb? A journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Yep. So this has been a 10,000-mile journey just to get to – the uh, three airplanes that uh, the FAA has, has blessed to be legal to use and safe right. to use this unleaded uh, fuel. But hasn't in the past couple weeks a whole bunch more been approved? Uh, if it has, I didn't catch it. All right, hang um, on. This is a story here on the but list. This, um, this approval encompasses 75,000 airplanes. Uh, and that's just a three models of, uh, of yeah. Cessna. Uh, so I'm reading a story here. It's actually dated October 28th. So that's like th- two, three weeks ago now. Um, um, this is from AOPA.org. Um, FAA has approved hundreds of additional piston aircraft engine models to burn the 100 octane unleaded avgas developed by GAMI in a move that an AOPA consultant said signals the agency's quote unquote bullish approach to the eventual elimination of leaded aviation fuels. Approximately, this, uh, now the first graph says approximately 611 engines incru- included in an approved model list issued October 28, plus the more limited number of approvals from GAMI's announcement in July, they account for about 70% of the GA aircraft f- aircraft fleet's power plants. So that seems to be a big step forward. Jeb, are you familiar with this whole situation? Yeah, uh, and that's... Uh, I'm somewhat familiar with it. Let me put it that way. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. The uh, uh, the, the recent addition of uh, a bunch of new aircraft, uh, I'm sorry, airframe and engine combinations to the GAMI STC was both expected and, and uh, um, um, forecasted uh, several weeks ago. Um, and, in fact, occurred several weeks ago. The... Uh, um, as that AOPA story correctly notes, um, there's a 70-30 split here. Mm-hmm. Um, 70% of the fleet burns 30% of the fuel. 30% of the fleet 
burn 70% of the fuel. Right. And that remaining 30% that burns most of the fuel uh, is still looking for um, uh, formal approvals. They will come, um, at least vis-a-vis the GAMI fuel, because they've been doing this for decades, well, not almost decades, certainly certainly more than 10 years, um, using the GAMI 100 uh, UL formula or, or batch process or whatever, whatever recipe, let's call it a recipe, um, to come up with this fuel. Um, and they've been running it in, in high compression engines um, and uh, um, air, the, the higher end airframe engine combinations uh, f- for most of that time. Um, I'm not sure what, if any problems exist, it could simply be bureaucratic inertia, um, but that's pretty much where we're headed. The thing that, um, I guess there's two additional things here. One, hang on a second. Let me go back to this, uh, the Slang Magazine article. Um, the, uh, the Flying Magazine, uh, um, piece talks about Textron Aviation, um, in a service bulletin um, that uh, uh, allows certain Cessna models to uh, use um, unleaded and low-lead fuels uh, after they comply with the service bulletin. Um, and that's certainly also a big step mm-hmm. forward. Um, the uh, uh, It's not clear to me whether... Um, let me put it bluntly. It's not clear to me that these fuels exist, at least uh, um, uh, um, um, in in uh, large scale or planned large scale distribution. Right. Ninety one octane unleaded. Um, that sounds to me like uh, uh, mo gas without alcohol in it, without methanol. Uh, Ninety four UL. I think that's swift fuel. Maybe. That's what and I, that's what I wondered about. 100 VLL, very low lead. Oh, that's the first time I've heard of that. Yeah, okay. All right, so yeah. this, we'll take this story with a grain of salt. But the- Well, I mean, it, it's it, – no, not I, don't, I wouldn't say with a grain of salt, but show me where I can get the fuel. Now, you can say the same thing about the GAMI fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, show me where I can get it uh, without having to go to Oklahoma. Um, the paperwork process is far ahead of the distribution process is I think uh, one, one point to take away from this. Mm-hmm. Now, there's something else going on. If you can give me a few minutes here to find it, uh-huh. um, there's there's some action on the Hill. Uh, there's a bill that uh, uh, I've seen discussed here. Let me find uh, – well, I'm not, I'm not finding it, but um, – um, Apparently, and, go ahead, David. Go ahead, David. I was just sitting, while Jeb was uh, looking there, reading this one uh, note on the link that the Continental-powered Cessnas, O three hundred, G O three hundred, and I O three sixty, are not covered by this. So okay. they're still now. Just to be clear here, are with, you are you referring to the AOPA article or the Flying Magazine article? Flying Magazine. Flying Magazine one. And that's the one that Jeb is kind of questioning whether these fuels are genuinely available or not. Um, so, uh, okay, yeah. Jeb, how you doing? You find what you're looking for? 
Um, no. Um, it, there was there was something I saw recently. I I kind of sort of bookmarked it, but I can't find the bookmark now. Um, about some legislation uh, in Congress that um, um, quote does something unquote vis-a-vis unleaded aviation fuel and may in fact also um, um, address um, what's become what's become what's what's become known as uh, sustainable aviation fuel which is basically non-mined, non-mineral jet fuel, let's mm-hmm. call it that. Okay. Um, and whether it's um, reclaimed uh, um, uh, French, French fry oil, whether it's um, a totally synthetic um, um, substance grown, from, uh, mi- grown by microbes, secreted by microbes, I think we talked about this years ago, mm-hmm. um, that, um, uh, or if it's just, you know, some chronic carbon offset, um, um, balance of the scales, um, all of these, um, uh, things are going on. This legislation though, I got the impression that, um, it was trying to become son of Paffy and, and Paffy is the, uh, um, uh, what they call it here? It's in the it's in the AOP Piston Aviation Fuel Initiative mm-hmm. Initiative PAFI, and that's a uh, ten or twelve year old um, um, bureaucratic exercise that uh, um, sought to. Uh, I think Shell was involved. Swift Fuel was involved. Right. Uh, Exxon Mobil might have been involved. I think so. Uh, there were yeah, two or three all, or four. Yeah, right? yeah, all of these companies were involved in trying to come up with. Um, a uh, an unleaded aviation gasoline. Curiously, Gamma, I'm sorry, Gamme was not part of that process. Right, I mean, that was on. Uh, and they have um, since, of course, come out. I would think on top as Paffy just fell by the wayside for lack of uh, success and and perhaps too much bureaucratic inertia. What the vibe I got from all this, to to, to make a long story shorter, um, is that this proposed legislation on the Hill struck me as trying to be son of Paffy and um, um, perhaps kneecap or sidestep the GAMI effort. Sure. And I'm still scratching my head over what all that means. Well, I don't know, you know, and, and to be cynical here for a moment, one can imagine though, that the, 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 uh, the, 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 com- the financial concern, the, the fuel companies that are going to be left behind by the GAMI solution are trying to figure out how to get back in the game legislatively. Um, I don't know, you know, so anyways, uh, so a lot more, a lot more airplanes are potentially um, 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 eligible to use the gammy fuel as it starts to appear. And that seems to me to be a good thing. So uh, anyways, all right, we'll move on here. Um, 
Just a quick note here. Um, if uh, you folks like to, what we're doing here with this podcast, please consider supporting it with a financial donation. Um, it's really true that just a few dollars a month can uh, really help us to do this podcast. You can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. Um, thank you to uh, some of our recent tip jar supporters, Lyndon N., Michael S., Michael F., David W., and many others. Um, or you can become an automatic monthly supporter via Patreon. Uh, thanks to some of our Patreon supporters. Uh, a new Patreon supporter this week, um, Glenn Towler, uh, has signed up to be a regular Patreon supporter, and we thank him for that. Also, some um, uh, already existing uh, Patreon supporters, Chris H., Jonathan S., Stephen D., Benu, William H., Jonathan H., Jennifer H., Colin C., and so many others. To everyone who supports us on Patreon and uh, by way of PayPal, you folks are the best. Thank you so much. Uh, for more information about providing automatic monthly support, you can check us out at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. And you can get all this information again by clicking on the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see now. Uh, so, um, the internet kind of lit up this last week uh, with a, a couple of videos um, of an incident where a skydiving aircraft um, stalled while a whole bunch of skydivers were hanging stalled out. Stalled and spun. Uh, stalled, stalled and spun. Excuse me. You're absolutely right. Um, and, uh, and, and this was all pretty interesting. Um, turns out... I'm pretty sure I saw, did I see two different views of it? Maybe I didn't. I think I saw a high quality and a low quality. Maybe that's what it was. Um, and, uh, but it, it was an interesting um, inst- thing. I, I, maybe what I didn't see was another video, but I saw there was a report from the pilot um, or from the aircraft operator about what happened. And, uh, and that was pretty interesting too. What, did you guys see this video? What'd you think? Yeah, I saw it. Um, yeah. Uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. In what um, way? Well, the aerodynamics, for one, the uh, uh, excellent camera work, or excellent camera anyway, um, for another, and uh, um, how uh, uh, how it's a great discussion and description of uh, how an airplane stalls and how it enters a spin. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, I don't think I've ever seen, I've certainly never seen, a uh, a stall entry spin entry as as well photographed right well yeah because in such high resolution yeah the so the situation and 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 we'll put a link to the youtube video in the show notes but just to kind of describe what we were seeing um and i think a lot of us have seen these these situations before where there's a whole bunch of jumpers and they're all going to go together because they're going to do some air work while they're in free fall and so they're all kind of gathering sort of outside the door in this case there weren't struts wing struts together but however it was they were gathering you know outside the door before they all dropped together um and because they were going to do air work one of them had a camera mounted on their helmet um, and that was the photographer who then ended up shooting the uh, the uh, the stall spin um, as it as it played out and yeah it was it was pretty interesting um, it 
Yeah, I mean, it was all pretty interesting. The the, the report I saw later was from, I want to say it was from one of the the, the pilot or one of the pilots, um, but they talked about um, the, the fact that all these people were bunched out outside the door, um, just plain, and it doesn't take much imagination to see this happening. It upset the airflow, both over the uh, over the wing, which was ahead of the, 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 the jumpers, and also uh, on the elevator. Um, and uh, these things combined caused a, a, um, an imbalanced, you know, uh, less controlled situation that resulted in the spin. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the 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 shooter, the photographer, had the had the uh, the presence of mind to uh, focus on this aircraft as it sp- it really pretty dramatically spun. Um, you know, I mean, and it it almost looked like it was scarily close to these jumpers who were also falling. This airplane's falling and now they're falling. Um, I, I think that that was a perspective thing. And they were actually, I well, think it was too. There, there was not, there was plenty of clearance. Let me put it that way. But uh, it was interesting to see this aircraft uh, spin. And of course it was a twin aircraft, which you don't always, they, they, I don't, I don't have any twin experience, but I got to figure they spin and a stall and spin in a different way than uh, someone speculated that because of the jumpers, they had one of the engines either reduced power or outright feathered. I don't know if that was true or not, but uh, I don't think they were feathered. Um, It's entirely possible that uh, um, the pilot reduced power on the left engine because they're exiting the left side of the aircraft. Yeah. If so, um, he's due for some remedial training because you don't do that with a with a conventional twin. Right, right, yeah. This, this Dave, is a King Air. This is a King Air ninety model. So. Yeah, David, you have any uh, any uh, re- reaction to this whole thing? Did you see the video? Well, it's, I was. Uh, I've watched this video clip about a half a dozen times now, and uh, that was one loaded King Air. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean it gee many christmas uh pilot and 15 passengers on on the jump uh, uh flight and the jump run at sixteen thousand above sixteen thousand feet above ground level uh, that's got to be getting close to coffin corner for that for the for that oh okay load and the uh the altitude that they were flying at, because uh, let's face it, that's pretty bloody thin air up there, right? Uh-huh. And the thinner the air, the easier it is to get an airplane into stall. Yeah, uh, coffin corner is a is a, a, a sort of colorful term referring to what? That's where you start to have the uh, engine's ability to make power and the stall speed get close together right Right. and uh and then throw into the mix all the weird turbulence and airflow interruption uh, well no those are pt6 pratt and whitney's on that uh king air and uh i know it's capable of going higher than uh 16,000 feet so the uh pulling the engine on the jump side uh some ways it makes sense. Uh, I made six jumps out of a uh, uh, DC-3 C-47 uh, aircraft. Uh, they did not idle or pull the power back on the left engine because that we were going out of the, the port door. And uh, 
but it did have it slowed down to about a hundred and forty knots, and fortunately, you didn't have to climb out on anything or stand on anything to start your jump. You held the door frame, and as the jump master instructed me, I threw my body at the back of the wing. It, it, not going to hit it, yeah. no way. But he said that kind of self-propelled maneuver going out the door would make it easier for me to get into a stable spread for the jump and for the uh, uh, amount of free fall I was going to do. And I did 220 seconds, 230 seconds, and 240 second uh, free falls, uh, all of them by flinging my body at the trailing edge of the flaps. And as soon as I was out into the... uh, into the air, I could see the back of the flap as it was going up above me. It's like, wow, that dude can really climb. Oh, wait. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's not climbing. I'm falling. Wait a minute. You left a perfectly good DC three to, to do this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My reaction. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So, so it's interesting video. Um, you know, if you want to see an example of how stall spin can happen, um, and, uh, um, Take a look at this video. We'll put a link in the show notes to it, and uh, or you can, I'm sure you can you can uh, uh, internet search it and find it that way. Um, and be advised, there's at least two versions of this video. And I think we're, now that I'm recalling, it's the same video. There's a lower quality, somewhat shorter version that I think is on Twitter or something like that. And then there's a longer, better version that's on perhaps YouTube, but one of the video sharing services. Take a look. It's interesting stuff. Um, yeah, you have a thought? Final thought? Well, the, the uh, pilot did a hell of a job not hitting any of the jumpers on his way down. I guess we were talking about that. I, I yeah, that, I mean, it, it, absolutely. It's a good thing that that because that obviously would have been a terrible tragedy. And uh, um, but uh, yeah, take a look at the video. You'll see what we're talking about. Yeah, but it's the last time the pilot put sixteen jumpers on the tail end of the aircraft. Maybe, maybe. Although these 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 skydive jump pilots are 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 a, a different kind of breed i've seen them they they fly airplanes i'll tell you man um every now and then i mean it's like when i first saw this i almost half thought is this really an unintentional spin or is that because skydive pilots are kind of notorious sometimes anyways for trying to get on the ground before the jumpers do <laughs> yes okay yes. and and i i watched this and i'm going wait a minute is this really an unintentional spin or did he and i i think i i'm inclined to believe it was an unintentional spin in in this case but yeah so uh they, they're they're you know a they because they just fly flight after flight after flight load after load they are very very experienced pilots particularly in these particular airplanes um but uh um, they're also bored yeah but yeah yeah perhaps perhaps so uh um yeah they uh it's an interesting interesting video um I want to return to a so so I mentioned Jim Jim G our our friend Jim G the other, uh, earlier in the episode. Um, Long time listeners will know that I first met Jim G a long time before the podcast happened. So we started the podcast, and the summer after we started the podcast, I was contacted at Oshkosh by a listener who turned out to be Jim G and became a great friend of ours. Yes. Um, it was only a couple of years later that I came upon some old notes of mine to realize that I had actually met Jim G a couple of years before that. 
right? When I was writing some freelance uh, stories about aviation, and I had heard the story about an airport in New Hampshire that was in danger of being closed and got bought by this good guy who was then trying to save the airport. All right. It's called Levitt Airport. It was in, I believe, Albany, New Hampshire, up in northern Ham- near Conway, New Hampshire. Um, and and it turns out that the guy and I called this guy, I tracked him down and I talked to him on the telephone, I interviewed him and wrote a little story. Um, turns out that that guy was Jim G. Um, and Jim Goldman is his full name. And, uh, and it's just kind of funny, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know what the, what the characterization would be, but, you know, um, um, serendipity and whatnot. Um, Jim G has owned this airport, Levitt Air, Levitt, what's it called? Levitt Airport, um, in, uh, in, uh, Albany, New Hampshire, uh, for, since then, for a long time. Um, and, and he's done his best to kind of improve it and keep it going. And, 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 uh, it's, it's, I keep calling it a, a residential air park. And I don't know officially it falls into that category, except to say that there are multiple private homes that have airport access at, at Levitt. Uh, airfield airport. Um, long story short, um, Jim contacted us the other day and told us that he has decided the time has come for him to part with Levitt Airport. Um, and so he has put Levitt Airport up for sale. And he asked if we would mind mentioning on the podcast. Um, and and with a couple of caveats, we're totally happy to mention it. Um, and uh, the, the main caveat would be that um, we know nothing about real estate, we, or I anyways, I think I speak for Jeb and Dave, know nothing about aviation, airport, airport real estate, let alone airport real estate. We don't know if this is a good deal. We don't know. We're not recommending that anyone buy this thing. All right. What I think I'm, if I'm recommending anything, it's that Jim G is a good guy. And if you're the kind of person who might be in the market to own an airport, you might want to talk to Jim and then make your own judgment about whether this is a good idea. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's small, very small, a relatively small runway. Um, with no services, um, no FBO, no no shared ramp or anything like that, um, in uh, in near Conway, New Hampshire, and and it's for sale. So if uh, if you are are interested, uh, you can uh, track that down. We'll put a couple. I'll put links in the show notes to uh, Jim G's email, uh, along with uh, uh, links to his the listing of the property in both Trade a Plane and what was the other. Uh, publication he listed it in he listed it in real like realtor.com realtor.com yeah so uh i don't know if you guys have anything you want to add to that um um but uh that that's the situation again we know nothing about real estate we're not recommending anybody buy this thing but it's there jim g's a good guy and if you're so inclined give him a call my only comment would be if you want to own your own runway Doing it without neighbors is far preferable. Yeah, well, okay. No, no, no. Come on. You know, aviation is a, it's a communal thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, pilots hanging out with other pilots. It's like living in a residential airport. And I, you obviously, Jeb, know better than either of us, but it seems to me that living in a residential airport is like the, is the, I don't know what's the word, holy grail. It's the thing. It's the, it's the dream come true, isn't it? Maybe you don't want to answer that. Um, yeah, he's awful quiet. Jeb's awful quiet. Okay, all right. Check out uh, uh, Levitt Airport in Albany, New Hampshire, if you're so interested. What else? We're reaching, sort of reaching the end of our allotted time here. Um, so it's been it, it's been a bit in the news for a, a month or so now. I mean, maybe longer in some regards. Um, the question of whether the new 
cell phone radio technology, aka 5G, um, is is bad for aviation. I don't know what radios, I guess, or is it bad for the radios or is it bad for the electronics? But it's bad for aviation, um, and uh, um, and and people were concerned about this. And uh, and when we were going to record a week ago, we were going to talk about how people were concerned about it. And since then. Um, AT&T and Verizon have both announced that they are going to do delay what's called the C-band spectrum um, pending air safety review. And so, so, so I don't know what's going on here, but um, it, it's an issue that's, I don't know what, that's, that's being looked into, I guess. Well, it's... it's... Right? How, yeah, how, how it... badly did I express all that? Is that What's the real story? It's not as uh, the overall impact of this is not as bad as that. Uh, was it uh, light speed or something like that uh, fiasco from a few years back where yeah. they wanted to basically use uh, uh, GPS spectrum for some kind of communication service? Um, but this is kind of sort of close to that in that um, the, the expansion to 5G. Uh, cellular service uh, poses a potential conflict with uh, radar altimeters. Uh, and, okay, thank and, you. And uh, now, radar altimeters are not ubiquitous, but they are um, in constant use. Right. Um, I would imagine when you've got one, you kind of need it. Well, yeah. I, I mean, th- th- I would go way out on a limb here and suggest that there aren't that many radar altimeters in what we call general aviation aircraft, mm-hmm. although that topic itself is up for discussion. Um, that having been said, um, the next time you're on an airliner and they touch down on the runway and you can't see past the wingtip, they used a radar altimeter during the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Okay. Um, Anytime you're looking at a Cat 2 or Cat 3A approach, um, you're looking at, at using a radar altimeter, at least at least for verification purposes, if not uh, some some level of guidance. Um, and I just find the whole thing just uh, completely stupid um, that uh, we have Whoa. to go through this crap. Oh, um, yeah, well. That uh, um, – this this spectrum has been allocated to the aviation to aviation uses for decades, and uh, all of a sudden, just because someone wants to uh, um, uh, play Minecraft or something like that a little bit faster on their phone, I I just don't get it. But that's just okay. Me. Well, no, I, I I guess I hear you. I, I'm looking forward to five G five, but five G is not the pen panacea is that the right word that that some people might think it's going to be it's not arbitrarily better than what we've got now but in some circumstances it's a lot better it can um, it can be and, and you know depending on where you are and what you're using and what you're doing etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh it's not something to to mandate a complete upheaval yeah of yeah. of so, uh, complete redistribution if you will of radio yeah. spectrum so i'm guessing we'll be watching this for a while now and uh um We'll report back. David, anything you want to add to this whole 5G uh, situation? Uh, well, it's nice that for a change, the uh, rest of the world is paying attention to the aviation world's issue with this 5G on and, and its effect on radar altimeters. Because 
it seems like so many issues where we've had conflicts with other frequency spectrums and other users or people building subdivisions right at the end of a runway uh, that uh, well often it's like yeah go go away go away and uh, this time somebody's taking it seriously and and it seems that they're working on uh, the technology needed to make a solution viable and let us use our radar altimeters and let the 5G people use their phones. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't yeah. want to disappoint them. Well, okay. Uh, See, I'm, I'd also add that the FAA has jumped into this and uh, published what they call a special aviation information bulletin um, that discusses uh, potential interference with 5G. Dev- I'm sorry potential interference with radar altimeters um, mm-hmm. from 5D devices and or 5G spectrum. Okay. So the FAA seems to be at least uh, uh, squarely on board with uh, industry-wide opposition. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I don't have a link to that. If you could send me, Jeb, a link to, to the that. To SAIB? Yeah, to that FAA thing, and yeah. I'll add it to the show notes. Anyways, all right. Well, I think we've reached the end of our allotted time here. Jeb, was there one this other thing? You yeah, there, it's, it's kind of a downer thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to recognize and commemorate um, a longtime colleague of mine who, who passed away um, um, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Johanna O'Toole um, was a, a staffer when I joined NBAA back in the 80s. And... Um, she did IT and did some accounting and, and these kinds of things. Later on, when I uh, joined uh, NATA in uh, in the uh, early aughts, she was at that organization, that association, and was a uh, comptroller, um, uh, a, a pleasure to work with, a, a professional colleague throughout. Um, she recently passed away. Hmm. And I just want to commemorate uh, uh, her and, and uh, um Thank her uh, posthumously for the memories and for the uh, professionalism. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, I am. T- I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, thank you guys. I appreciate it. It's good to uh, uh, always good to get together and talk with you. Um, let's see now. That's Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as AvSafetyMag, and you can also find him and his work at AEA.net, AvWeb.com, and on Twitter, he is Burnside J. And Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. You can find Dave's work online at abbuyer.com, AEA.net, and on Twitter, he is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places with the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube Jack Hodgson, Patreon Jack Hodgson. You can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section, and you can sign up for my Around the Field email newsletter at aroundthefield.net. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye. <laughs> that's that's enough talking uh let's let's go flying you know you've completely changed my rhythm um and uh and that's that's definitely enough talking let's go flying dave uh jeb and, and remember no matter no matter what else happens fly the airplane there you go